If you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Matthew chapter 25 this morning, Matthew chapter 25, and welcome to week eight of a series that has us walking through the Apostles' Creed. And for the last seven weeks, what we've been doing is we've been um, walking through this historic statement of faith, a statement that binds us together, not only with church history, so What we're doing is we are being bound together with the teachings and beliefs of the apostles. So that's binding us there with the church of the first century. But also we are being bound together by each other. We have a shared um, group of beliefs that, that bind us together as the people of God. And this morning we come to the phrase, From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Let me just lay this kind of out here and... and, uh, just, uh, I hope you, you kind of finish with me real quick in my little thought. I grew up in a, in a church age um, where a lot was made concerning the, the end times. We had our end time movies. We had our end time charts. We had our end time book after book after book after book. We had our bumper stickers in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. Um, we also had um, our suspicions. And what I mean by that is this, um, just about every U.S. president has been declared by some form of Christianity to be the Antichrist. So we've had that um, going on for us. And unfortunately, one of the results of being raised as a child in that type of church culture was that I grew up a little obsessed with and, of course, very terrified of the rapture. You know, every time for any reason that I couldn't find my parents at home, I thought that they had been taken away and I had been left. And, of course, I immediately began to say, Kelly, because I figured if I'm left, she has no chance. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I can't wait for her to be in here for me to tell that joke. But, uh, you know, I mean, think about that. There, there's a, uh, there was a picture, and some of you know exactly what I'm saying. Every time, you know, where have I been left behind and, and all of that. And, you know, um, for the most part... I would say I'm glad that we're not overly obsessed with the rapture um, from this standpoint. And what I mean by that is that we don't have our getting our charts out or we don't have our end time movie nights um, at the end of every month. But let me say this. Sometimes I believe that we have fallen on the opposite side of that and even a more fatal side of that, meaning we rarely, as the people of God, talk about or even think about the fact that Jesus is coming again. It's not even sometimes in our minds. And just consider the word of God. Just consider God's word. The second coming of Christ is the most talked about doctrine in the Bible. The Bible talks about the first coming of Christ 129 times. Yet the Bible talks about the second coming of Christ 329 times. So two and a half more times does the Bible refer to the second coming of Christ. So just think about biblical prophecy. For every one prophecy in the Bible that speaks of Christ's first coming, there are eight prophecies that speak of his second coming. So just lay that there. And then think about this. In the New Testament, one out of every 13 verses deals with some aspect of Christ's return to the earth. So when we think about that, this subject this morning seems like a very worthy focus, right? Seems like a very worthy focus when you think about the time and the energy that the Word of God um, puts forth in telling us that Christ is coming again. But here's why that can be a difficult subject and kind of two different reasons. First of all, everything that we've talked about over the last seven weeks has already happened. So everything, God the Father, 
Almighty has already created the heavens and the earth. Christ has already been conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Christ has already suffered under Pontius Pilate. He has already been crucified, buried, risen. He has ascended up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of, of God. All of that is history. It has already happened. Yet what we come to this morning has not happened. It is a future event. And what we are saying is that as believers, number one, we're staking our lives on what has happened. We're staking our eternal lives on the fact that Christ has come. He has died for our sins. He has risen and he is praying for us. We stake our, our lives upon that. But also, we find hope in the midst of the uncertainties of life in the fact that Christ is coming again. So that's our hope. That's our hope when it seems like Everything is out of control. Our hope is no, Christ is in control and he is coming again. And it, it seems bold for us as the people of God to say that. I believe this, but it's a good reminder that the Apostles' Creed doesn't start with the phrase, I know. It starts with the phrase, I believe. And, and especially when we get to the second coming, it's not that we understand every detail about the second coming. It's not that we, we know every single event and when it's going to happen and all of those things. But what it is, is I believe and I am placing my trust and my heart has been tied to the fact that Christ is coming again. And it will be very, very good news for those who know him. And it will be very, very bad news for those that don't. And so the, the, set, the more difficult issue is this. Not only are we talking about something that hasn't happened yet, we're talking about judgment. And not many people get excited about judgment. Now, there might be many in, in this room that you like watching Judge Judy every day. I, I don't know. I don't even know if Judge Judy still comes on. But maybe, just maybe, you like that. But here's what I know. There's probably not many of us in this room that would like to stand before the judge. Um, because we don't know... What the judge might be thinking, we don't know what he might rule, and there might be a lot of uncertainty in, in that way of what if he rules against me. Nobody gets excited about judgment. You can't fill churches today by doing month or two-month sermon series on the judgment of God. People will walk away from that today. But let me just say this. There's a benefit to what we're doing today. There's a benefit to us laying the second coming of Christ before us. There's clarity for the people of God and what we're doing today. And again, let me just say this. For those that, for those that within the church, I, I want to say this. As we talk about the second coming, please don't get out your charts today. Um, don't get out your charts and start you know, um, diagramming when Christ is going to come. Don't do that. Um, what, what the point this morning is, we want to stay away from that. And what we want to do is we want to lift high today the truth that there is coming a day when Jesus will return. And we will either be ready, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne, or we will be found wanting, clothed in our sin and awaiting his wrath. So what I want to do this morning is, with deep conviction, as we have done, I want us to stand and I want us to recite the creed together. And then I want us to read Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46 uh, together. So we're going to begin with reciting the creed, and I, I hope you can see it. Let's see, and hopefully you'll have it by memory as well. But let's recite this together, and then it's going to point us to the word of God, the authority of God's word before us. So if you can join me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And if we could look at Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31, these are, again, the words of Jesus. And he says this, When the Son of Man, so not if, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the Righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels." For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and, and come before you with this subject, Lord, that is meant to give us, Lord, those of, of us that are your children, it's meant to give us hope that, Jesus, you are coming again. It's meant for those that don't know you to be a warning that you are coming again, and, Lord, we pray, Father, if there's any in this room that don't know you, that, that today would be the day of salvation. But it's also meant for us as your children, Lord, to realize that we know people who aren't ready for your return. And Lord, help us to be busy about your business. Lord, just speak to us today through your word, Father. Just show us the glories of Christ's return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be Seated. So just think about this astonishing thought that we come to today. The, the Jesus that was born in Bethlehem, that 
grew up in Nazareth, he is coming again. The Jesus who turned water into wine, who walked on water, who stilled the seas, who raised Lazarus from the dead, he is coming again. The Jesus who entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, who was betrayed by Judas, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was beaten and scourged and mocked and condemned to death, is coming again. The Jesus who died on Calvary, who rose from the dead, and who is seated at the right hand of the Father, He is coming again. That's what we mean when we say that Christ will return. There is a day that Jesus will come, and there will be, get this, there will be no dispute on that day concerning who He is. There will be no one on that day going, well, is he king or isn't he king? Is he Lord or isn't he Lord? No, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on that day that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be no denying, no doubt on that day. Jesus declared, as we just read, the Son of Man will be revealed in glory, sitting on a glorious throne surrounded by his angels. So this will be obvious. And there's coming a day where this future hope and this future belief that we have as believers will not be viewed as being foolish. It won't be viewed as being closed-minded. In fact, on that day, we will be the envy of the world. On that day, those who share this belief now will be the envy of the world. And the reason I say this, and the reason I say that all will see him is because the second coming of Christ will be so much different than the first and just follow with me here. Jesus came the first time in weakness. He came as a tender infant, born of a poor woman in a manger in Bethlehem. He was unnoticed and he was unhonored when he came. Yet, when he shall come again, he will come again in royal dignity with the armies of heaven around him. He will be known, he will be recognized, he will be feared by everyone on the earth. The first time he came to suffer, he came to bear our sins. We, we reckon him to be cursed of God. He was despised. He was rejected. He was condemned. He was slain. Yet when he comes again, he will not come to suffer. He will come to rule. And he will come to reign. He will put down every enemy, according to the word of God, underneath his feet. He will take the kingdom of the world for his inheritance. And he will rule with righteousness. He will judge all men. And he will continue to live forevermore. This is the picture of Christ's coming. The contrast between his first coming and second coming could not be any greater. And believe me, brothers and sisters, it will not be missed. It will not be missed. And just a, a friendly reminder this morning, so for those that are eager to get out your charts, no person anywhere on this earth knows when Christ will return. Um, in, in light of this, we must give careful consideration to the thoughts of Christ. I've always heard it said this, live as if Christ died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. If we live that way, if we live that way, brothers and sisters, everything else will take care of itself. So in pointing our attention this morning to the undeniable reality of Christ's return, that he is coming again, I want us to unpack three undeniable truths today. So the first is this, and this might seem like the obvious one, but the first is this, he is the coming judge. So Jesus is the coming judge. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus says the Son of Man is going to come. He is going to come. He is coming 
And he is not coming the second time on a mission to save. The second time he is coming on a mission to judge the world. Jesus says the Son of Man will be like a shepherd who is separating the sheep from the goats, one on the right and the other on the, the left. And just think about this. I, I, I thought this week, I didn't grow up on a farm, even though often I taught like I did. I, I didn't. Um, so I had to do a little sheep and goat research this, um, this past week. And here's what I found out, especially when you think about the first century shepherds, is that sheep and goats were often herded together. They spent most of their time together. In fact, the shepherd typically only separated the sheep from the goats at, at night. So he would, at the very end of, of their pasture time, he would take and he would separate the goats and put them in their, their place for the night, and then he would put the sheep in their place for the night. And the second thing I discovered as I um, began to do a little research is that as sheep and goats dwelled in their natural habitat, um, doing their natural functions, one thing became true of both of them. They both became very dirty animals. And because of their dirtiness as animals, it was hard from afar for the shepherd to recognize which was a sheep and which was a goat. So that became a, an issue. And it's interesting that Jesus here says, I, the shepherd, I, the king, I, the son of man, I'm going to step in and I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. I'm going to put the sheep on my right. I'm going to put the goats on my left. And what Jesus is saying here, and don't miss this, Jesus is saying is at the end of time, at the end of this period, at the end of the age, when I return, I'm going to separate those who know me from those that don't. And I'm going to separate them rightly. And what I mean by that is this. There's going to be no mistake on that day. For Jesus is going to come and he is going to judge rightly and he is going to judge, get this, accurately. Every person that's ever lived on this earth. And the standard by which he's going to judge us is not going to be our worth. Jesus ain't going to judge us by based on how worthy we are. He's going to judge us based on how we responded to his worth. Did we submit ourselves to his worth? Did we see him for who he truly is? So Jesus says in Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. He is the coming judge. And in case, as a child of God, I pray that that does not cause you any fear or, or any kind of trepidation at all because Romans 8, 1 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our sins have been judged on the cross brothers and sisters that is good news for us now and forever he is the coming judge but secondly he is the merciful judge so Jesus is coming and he is the merciful judge verses 33 and 34 says that he will place the sheep on his right and it says this then the king will say to those who are on his right come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Here's what we know. Jesus will accurately separate the sheep from the goats. And to the sheep, Jesus will say, I love this word, come. I love that invitation. Come into the kingdom. It's almost as if Jesus in this picture is giving a second invitation. And what I mean by that is this. Jesus had given a previous invitation. Come to me. 
Come to me. Come to me as your Savior. And for those who came to Jesus as their Savior, they will get a second invitation. Come into my kingdom. Come into the place that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And I love that word, inherit, because that word has deep gospel roots. And what it means is this. You don't inherit something unless, first of all, it's given to you, and second of all, unless someone dies. So normally, except for the prodigal son, you don't, throughout Scripture, you don't inherit something unless someone passes away, unless they give it to you. And it's as if Jesus is saying in this picture, your entrance into the kingdom is going to be given to you, but it's going to be purchased by a death, mine. Because of my death, you are able to inherit what only I can give to you. And if we're not careful here, and I, I don't want to touch on this um, too long, but if we're not careful, it's possible to read this text and think, uh, uh, think like this. It's, uh, well, okay, if I, if I feed enough people and visit enough people and go to the jails and visit enough people and let enough people sleep on my couch, then it seems like Jesus is saying, I'll get in. And here's the point. All throughout Scripture, and some have used this to, to teach a false doctrine, all throughout Scripture, the Scripture is very clear. We are saved by faith alone. But faith that saves will never be alone. Will never be alone. So Jesus would say to that kind of thought, no, that is not it. You have been blessed by my Father to inherit the kingdom. Because of my death for you, you have been given a gift. Because of your response to me as Savior and Lord, you have been you are able to inherit something that has been prepared for you from the beginning. And here's what I love. Jesus is a merciful judge that will give his people, his children, entrance into a glorious place. Not on the basis of what we have done for him, but on the basis of what he has done for us. We have been invited. Get this, brothers and sisters. We've been invited by our Savior, to enter into a kingdom prepared for us, for us, from the foundation of the world. And here's this, another sad reality. Here's a sad thing. It's sad that many professing believers have like a, a secret fear about heaven. And the secret fear is this. Well, heaven's just going to be boring. And some people view heaven as like just an eternal choir practice, that we are there in a choir and... Brother Frank, as our choir director, continually says, nope, you're sharp there. We've got to get it right. And we just constantly, over and over again, go over the same songs. Or the thought is, we join the, the little chubby angels, and we're riding clouds, we're playing harps, and we're listening to James Earl Jones read the Bible dictionary to us um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that is our thought of, of heaven. Or some people say, well, heaven sure beats the alternative, so I guess I'll go there. And the problem with that, brothers and sisters, is it's not biblical. It's not biblical. Let me just put it this way. There is no boredom in the presence of a consuming fire. And God is a consuming fire. You don't get bored in that presence. You don't get bored in his presence. In fact, some people have this thought process that when we get to heaven, we'll get to the bottom of God, and then what else are we going to do? No, we will never, ever, 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 ever come to the bottom of who God is. Ever. God lacks no resources. He has enough to, he has, God has enough resources to get us through eternity. 
and we'll never, ever, ever get tired of him. And I love the fact that this merciful judge offers us the best last. Here's what we have to understand. Satan was the one that came to Adam and Eve and offered them their best life now. So that was, that was Satan's doing. So Satan's theme is, I'll give you the best life now. Jesus tells us the best is yet to come. You know what that does for us, brothers and sisters? It gives us hope in the midst of difficulties. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you know this, but life can sometimes be hard. You know, I, maybe you don't know this, but life can be difficult. Sometimes it can just be absolutely um, horrific. And, and sometimes we, we just have to say life can stink at times. Where it seems like everything is out of control in the worst possible way. And where do we turn? In those moments where life just stinks, where do you turn? Do you turn inward and just sulk? Do you turn downward and just let your, your countenance give way? Do you turn upward and keep looking to God no matter what? Do you turn backwards? Some people turn backwards and say, well, all these problems have led me to this and all these people that have hurt me. Or do we turn forward? I think as a believer, we should be, first of all, looking upward. We also should look backwards. Here's what Christ has done for us. And we also need to look forward. Here's what Christ will do for us. This gives us hope, brothers and sisters. It was J.R.R. Tolkien who said, On that final day, all the sad things of the earth will come untrue. All the sad things of the earth will come untrue. And it doesn't mean that God will make us forget every bad thing that has ever happened. But what it means is on that day, we'll come to realize with a fresh set of, of unsin-stained eyes that what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. That will be on that day. And I, I know I'm straying a little bit from the point, but I just feel compelled to tell this, this story. I, I love the amazing account of Joni Erickson Tata, a quadriplegic who was, um, she broke her neck in a diving accident when she was a teenager, uh, spent the remaining, or has spent the remaining time of her life um, in a wheelchair and yet God used that tragedy, God used her difficulties, God used her life, God used her message to make much of him. And God is still using her message to make much of him. But listen to what she says. I love this. She says, I hope in some way that I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. With my new glorified body, I will stand up from that wheelchair on resurrected legs and I will be next to the Lord Jesus and I will say, thank you, Jesus. He will know I mean it because he will recognize me from how hard I leaned on him during my suffering. And then I will say, Lord, do you see that wheelchair over there? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because it was a lot of trouble. But, Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I do not think I would ever have known the glory of your grace were it not for the weakness of that wheelchair. And then she says this, so thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. And now, if you like, you can send that thing to hell. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that. And, or the words of Cornelius Plantiga, who said the return of Christ is good news for a people whose lives are filled with bad news. 
The return of Christ is good news for a people whose lives are often filled with bad news. There are days when it's bad here. There are days when being a sheep on this earth stinks and literally stinks. There are days where it's just terrible. But brothers and sisters, there is coming a day. There is coming a day where we will be freed from the consequences of sin. And what we will be able to say to our Heavenly Father is all those consequences that kept us tethered to you, send them to hell. <laughs> send them to hell. And, and those consequences, because that's where they belong. And we, as His blood-washed children, will be forever in His presence. There is coming a day. He is the merciful judge. He's a merciful judge. And then, lastly... And unfortunately, we save the bad news for last. He is the just judge. So the last picture, he is the, the just judge. And here's what it tells us in verse 33. It says, he will place his goats on the left. And then verse 41, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So on the other side of the sheep are the goats. And to the goats, there will not be an invitation to come. Instead, to them, there will be a command to depart. Leave me. Not come to me, but leave me. Go to the place that was prepared for Satan and his angels. And here's what is important for us to know, that as a whole, when Christ comes, the world is not going to, as a whole, be converted to Christ when he comes. Think about this. Each person, when Christ comes, will go to his own place. Meaning, if Christ was your life here, your joy, your desire, he will be your life forever. But, if Christ was not a part of your life here, he will not be a part of your life forever. And ever, and ever. It was the words of A.W. Pink who said, The first time Christ came, he came to slay sin inside man. The second time he comes, he will come to slay men who are inside their sin. And notice that in this moment, if in this moment here, you don't hear the goats. I, it's kind of astounding. You don't hear the goats in this moment going, hang on, Jesus, you got this wrong. I'm not a goat. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sheep. You don't hear that in this moment. Jesus is the righteous judge who will not make a mistake or an unjust ruling. No one who Jesus sends away will ever be able to point the finger back at Jesus and said, you have done this. This is your fault. Think about this. Jesus did what was necessary for the salvation of all people. And unfortunately, those goats have done all that was necessary for their own condemnation, which is just to stay away from Jesus. Just think about how this ends for those on the left. They go into a place of eternal punishment. They do not get a temporary slap on the wrist they do not get a try better next go round they get an eternal consequence summarizing the teachings of, of Jesus on hell from Matthew 25 Don Whitney who was of the Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary taught 10 things about um, hell from Matthew 25 and here's what he said hell is real hell is separation from God hell is for the accursed ones Hell is eternal. Hell is fire. Hell is a prepared place for an unprepared people. Hell is eternity with the devil and his angels. Hell is inevitable if you reject Christ. 
Hell is inescapable once you are there. But listen to this. Hell is avoidable. It's avoidable if you will repent and believe in Jesus Christ. It is avoidable. It does not have to be anyone's eternal reality. So the question this morning as we end our time together is this. Are you ready for the return of Christ? Have you placed your complete trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? And does your life right now bear any evidence of that? Are you living your life with a faithful expectation of his return? Or put it this way, when was the last time you prayed the prayer, Come, Lord Jesus? I was convicted of that this week. That, that, that is not a part of my prayer life as it should be. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. And I know what some of us are thinking in this moment. Especially I know what the young people are thinking, because I know what I always thought when I sat there and I listened to the, uh, a message on this, is, well, if Jesus comes now, I'm, I'm going to be robbed of my future. I mean, didn't we think that as kids when you heard that? I'm going to be robbed of my future. I'm going to be robbed of my family. I'm going to be robbed of this. I'm going to be robbed of that if Jesus comes now. But here is the thing. If Jesus comes right now, I love this, brothers and sisters, we will not be robbed of anything that has eternal value. We will not be robbed of anything that has eternal value if Christ comes. Therefore, there's not a subject that we need to hear more than, than this. And I pray today that if there is anyone in this room that's not saved, that you will hear the words of the great Puritan, John Owen, who is speaking on behalf of Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, this is the word which Christ now speaks to you. Just listen to this and think of Christ saying this. Why will you die? Why will you perish? Why will you not have compassion on your own souls? Look unto me and be saved. Come unto me and I will ease you of all sins, sorrows, fears, burdens, and give rest to your soul. Come, I entreat you, lay aside all procrastinations, all delays. Put me off no more. Eternity lies at the door. Do not so much hate me as that you would rather perish than accept deliverance by me. Don't ignore Jesus any longer. But let me just say this to all of us in this room. If you knew the day and the time that Jesus was going to come, how would you live? What would you do with Christ? What would you do for Christ? And then think about this. Is that an accurate description of how you're living right now? And if it's not, then why? Could it be that we don't believe that he's coming? Could it, believe, could it be that we have just grown um, just completely, just absolutely where we don't care that he's coming? Could it be that our hearts have been hardened to his coming? Brothers and sisters, he is coming again. May our lives reflect that from this day forward. For all to see, for all to know, our Savior is coming again. And for those that don't know that or have not put their trust in Christ, may today be the day of salvation for you. If you can go ahead and stand with me, please. I'm going to call Brother Frank and our musician forward, and we're going to enter in this time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever it is that God is speaking to you, that you would do what he says. And let's pray together. Father, we just come before you now, thanking you for Jesus 
thanking you for the promise, and not just the promise, but the certainty, Jesus, that you are coming again. If you made the promise that you would rise from the dead and you did, then we can trust the promise that you will come again. And may that truth give us hope, Lord. May that truth, Father, give us hope in the midst of difficulties. May that truth be an anchor of our souls when life stinks. Lord, just anchor us to the hope, Jesus, that you are coming again. And when you come again, you will make all wrongs. You will make them right. And there will be for us no more sickness, no more pain, no more hospital visits, um, no, no more doctor's visits. The reality is there will be nothing but jubilee. <laughs> Just absolute jubilee, praising you for all that you've done for us. Lord, we pray for anyone who is in this place or who will be in this place that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Today they would, as John Owen said, not hate their own souls and not turn away from their only hope. But instead they would turn to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Finish this time in Jesus' name. Amen.